What a joy to worship with you and what a joy to have you online. For those of you joining us from Facebook, newlife.nyc on YouTube, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City, and it is a joy to have you with us and a joy to lift voices together in praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a series of teachings, actually uh, ending our series on the deeply formed life. We focused on a number of things over the course of these five weeks. We focused on contemplative rhythms, on racial reconciliation, on interior examination, on sexual wholeness, and today we are wrapping it up by focusing on missional presence. Next week, we're going to start a new series, a three-week series, on what it means that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And so I'm looking forward to uh, starting that series uh, next week. is going to be a really good time. But today, we're going to wrap up our time in this particular uh, series. And as we focus on the CDC, I'm just so thrilled for the work that we're doing with our Community Development Corporation the work that uh, Tiffany's doing in leading our uh, organization, as well as the testimony that Eve just shared. What a just a great gift to hear about the ways uh, that we are uh, serving people in this neighborhood and serving people in Queens. Just a joy. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of to be a pastor at New Life over the years. We've had many pastors and people come in uh, over many years to hear about our church and get tours of our building and whenever I talk about the work that we're doing with our CDC, whether it's through after-school programs or whether it's through our food and clothing pantry or our health center or all the other work that we're doing, it's just one of the areas that I am just so profoundly proud of to be part of this community. And the, the fact that we have an opportunity to further our mission with that is a great gift. And it ties in beautifully with what it means to be missionally present in this world. We're looking at uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. If you have a Bible, you can go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to focus on two verses, really one verse in particular. Uh, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in the Our Father uh, there's one portion of it, verse 10, that we're going to emphasize today. Uh, Jesus says these words. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, I love that. Lord, this is my prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Queens as it is in heaven. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in New York City as it is in heaven. In my job, ah, as it is in heaven. In my home, as it is in heaven. When I'm driving, amen. Uh, <laughs> as it is in heaven. Lord, we offer ourselves to you, and that's our prayer today, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, that we would receive every gift from the Holy Spirit this day. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. Missional presence. When I became a Christian as a 19-year-old, I had one notion, one idea of what it meant to be missionally present in the world. My task as a new Christian, as a very zealous Christian, was to do one thing, to convince people who did not follow Jesus how wrong they were and how right I was. That was my goal in life. 
to convince everyone, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm going to tell you how right I am. And so I became a new Christian. I did not know many Bible verses, but I had a lot of zeal. I did not have a lot of knowledge, and I did not have a lot of compassion, but I thought it was my job to let people know how wrong they were and how right I was. And so I would have a series of conversations in the most random places where I would get in all kinds of debates with people. And I remember the first debate I had was in the front of my house, 362 Elton Street in East New York, Brooklyn. What had happened was I was walking to my uh, house and I saw in front of our building, my cousin Tina was having a conversation with two people that I have never seen before. And as I got closer, I began to see that these two people were Jehovah's Witnesses who were having a conversation with her about the Bible. And so I see the conversation they're having with her, and I just so zealous, not a lot of knowledge. At that time, I had about five, uh, four or five Bible verses that I knew, but that was enough to let them know how wrong they were and how right I was. And so I go, what's going on here? And they start sharing, oh, we're, we're sharing about their message. And I just began to tell them how wrong they were. And so I gave them a Bible verse. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they have a little different version of theirs in their own version there. And so they gave me their verse. And I gave them my verse. And they gave me their verse. And my cousin Tina is like a tennis match at this point. She's going this way and then that way. And then this way, the conversation was so tense, it was so intense as we're just having a back and forth conversation, and I'm so upset that they would just come into my territory to try to make their thing happen. And so by the end of a good seven, eight minutes of back and forth, I say, how about this? Why don't you come back next week? Same place, same time, be here. And they said, all right. Now, these people were young as well like I was, probably 20, 21 years old. They did not have a whole lot of Bible verses like I did. And yet, during that course, that course of the week, I studied, I read, I was waiting. And the day came, and do you know what happened? They showed up. <laughs> they showed up. The problem was they showed up with their regional director of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I was not expecting this. And so I told my brother to be there with me before the meeting started. He wasn't there yet. And so I'm on the call with him. Jason, where are you? I need some help. Get here now. They brought the director, the regional director with them. I invite them into the house. I made them tea. I made them tea and all that. And, and we sat down and one after the other. I gave them a verse. They gave me a verse. I gave them a verse. They gave me a verse. And we did that for about 45, 50 minutes. And nothing good took place out of that. When I became a Christian, I thought it is my goal to debate people into the kingdom of God. And that's what it means to be on mission. And I want to tell you, that is not the way to be on mission. I can't think of anyone who's been debated into the kingdom of God. 
I know plenty of people who have been loved into the kingdom of God. I know plenty of people who have been served into the kingdom of God. But debating people will not lead people into the kingdom of God. That to be on mission, brothers and sisters, is not to live our lives trying to change people. Why? Because we cannot change people. Only God can change people. Say amen, somebody. Only God can change people. However, to be on mission is to be the kind of person that when people are around us, makes it possible for change to take place. I can't change anyone, but I can become a person that makes change possible in the name of Jesus. And we become that kind of person when we recognize that God is already active in the world. Active way before we show up. And that's my definition of what it means to be missionally present. To be missionally present is to join in what God has already started. And seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One of the beautiful claims of the Bible is that God is always involved in the affairs of the world. We don't always see it. We don't always feel it. We can't always perceive it. But we gather on Sundays to worship and to be reminded that God is always engaged in the world. And this is good news for us. It made me think, there's often times that we have a vision of who God is, and I was watching a show recently called What If. I haven't talked about Marvel in way too many months, and there's this Marvel show called What If. And, and, and really, one of the characters of What If is someone called The Watcher, The Watcher. And, and The Watcher is outside of what's happening in the affairs of the world, just observing everything. And this being has taken a vow not to get involved in the affairs of the world. But this person is just watching as an outsider. He knows every story. He knows everything that's going on. But he does not get involved in the affairs of the world. And as the series moves on, little by little, we see the watcher beginning to get a little bit more involved in the world. When I think about our relationship with God, it's often the case that we believe God is like the watcher. That God just stands outside of the world. And just observes at a very cold distance. But the God of the Bible is revealed to be one who gets his hands dirty. The God of the Bible is one who becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ. The God of the Bible is one who is involved in the affairs of human existence. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. This Bible verse should give us a lot of comfort. And I just want to take a moment to, to offer good news to you. That you might be wondering, where in the world is God? I hold on to this verse. You might not see it. You might not perceive it. You might not feel it. But God is at work in your life right now. Right now, at work in your circumstances, at work in your situations, at work in your relationships. God is at work. My Father is at His work to this very day. And I, too, am working. God's desire is to heal, to renew, 
to restore, to make things new, to set the world free from the powers of sin and death. But here's the wonderful and humbling news about the way that God works. God is always at work. Jesus is always at work. The Holy Spirit is always at work. But here's the humbling truth about how God works. God doesn't want to do it without you. God does not want to do it without you. This is the humbling truth of the Bible. That through, from the pages of Genesis to Revelation, God is always looking for someone who's going to partner with him in the healing, in the renewal, in the reconciliation of the world. For thousands upon thousands of years, God has called men, women, and children to partner with him for the healing of the world. And this is the essence of what it means to be missionally present, to join in what God is already doing to seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where we get to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to pay particular attention to the words that our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a fascinating portion of Scripture when we get to Matthew 6 because it's the only place in the Bible where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to do something. It's the only time where they say, Lord, can you teach us something? They never ask, Lord, can you teach us how to preach? They never ask, can you teach us how to evangelize? They never ask, can you teach us how to run a board meeting? They don't, they don't ask any of those things. But they say, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Evidently, they saw the life that Jesus had, the intimacy that we ha he had with the Father, the power and authority that was carried in his name and in his words. And the only conclusion that they made was this. The reason he has this life, the reason he has this joy, the reason he has this level of authority is because he knows how to pray. And so, Lord, we want what you have. So can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus teaches them how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray these words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a word needs to be said about kingdom, the word kingdom. The question is, what is the kingdom of God? Or used in other ways in the Bible as the kingdom of heaven. And it's important to, to note that when people hear those words, they often mean heaven, the place we go when we die. But that's not exactly what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, if I can make it as succinct as possible, is the dream that God has for the world that is marked by love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and justice and compassion. The kingdom of God is what the world looks like when Jesus has his way. And so we are to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Why? Because there are other kingdoms in this world that are having their way. Kingdoms of oppression, kingdoms of injustice, kingdoms of hatred, kingdoms of, this, of, of exploitation. 
that are, that's pushing through. You see it every time you watch the news. You see it when you join on social media. You understand it when you watch the Mets play. The, kids, the, the kingdoms of this world. Bad things are happening. And I'm a Mets fan. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, he's saying, we are to work for a world that looks like wholeness and peace and justice. It looks like what happens when I'm running the show. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't teach us to pray, Lord, get me out of earth into your kingdom in heaven. He doesn't pray that. And he doesn't have us pray that. Lord, and sometimes I understand, Lord, get me out of this place. Get me, I want to be where you're at. But Jesus does not teach us to pray, get me out of earth into your kingdom in heaven, but your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second thing I want you to note about this, uh, these words that Jesus gives is these are not words of passivity. These are not words of resignation. These are words of participation. When we pray this, it can come across like this. God, there's nothing we can do, so please fix the world. That's how it sounds often. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, there's nothing we can do, so please fix the world. But that's not how Jesus wants us to pray. That's passivity. What he's inviting us into is participation. What he means by it is, is not, Lord, there's nothing we can do to please fix the world. Here's the prayer. Lord, there's so much we can do, but only in your power. Ah, you hear that? There's so much we can do, but only in your power. Lord, I want to participate in what you are doing, but only in your power. If we took that seriously, it would change the way we pray. It'll change the way we pray. And our life would move from passivity to participation. I'll give you an example. When we pray at our home, we're having a meal together, we pray before food. And, and, and from time to time, we pray uh, that people who don't have food would be fed. Lord, we pray for the poor. We pray for the homeless. We, we pray for those who are, who are hungry. And we pray that, Lord, you will provide for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then we start eating. And there have been times that as I pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit is convicting me. Because our prayers are not just meant to be prayed without it leading to something in our lives. We are in many ways, brothers and sisters, to become the answers to our own prayers. Lord, there's so much we can do but only in your power. And so when we pray for the poor and when we pray for the hungry and when we pray for those who are on the margins of society after we eat our meal, maybe the question is now, Lord, how can I participate with you in pushing back the powers that make people hungry 
and make people receive the marginalization in their lives. May I be, Lord Jesus, the answers to the prayer that I pray. Because God is looking for us to move beyond passivity into participation. And so we are called to be on mission. We're called to be on mission. The question is, what is the mission? What is the mission? And this is where Christians get stuck. We often believe that the mission is to convert people. And again, I would say that our mission is not to convert people. Why? Because only God can convert people. Our mission is not to judge people. Why? Because God is the final judge who will make things right at the end of human history. Our job is not to bring people to church. As much as I want people to come to church, our fundamental job is not to just get people to church. What is our job? Here, what is our mission? I, if I could say it this way, as simple as possible, this is what I would say. Our mission is to continue what Jesus started. That's our mission. Our mission as followers of Jesus is to continue what Jesus started. The question is, what did he start? I can give you a hundred things he started. I'll give you six. All right, I'll just give you six. Why did Jesus come? Why did, what, what was part of Jesus' mission? And I'll just highlight a few things here and then talk about the implications of it. When Jesus came, the Son of Man came, the Son of God came for a number of reasons. Number one, to do the will of the Father. I have come, this is Jesus, down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. To be on mission as followers of Jesus is to do the will of the Father. Which means our prayers need to change from, Lord, your kingdom come as opposed to my will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So our mission is to do the will of the Father. Our, our mission is to participate. Jesus came to save sinners. This, is a, uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, of course, we cannot save sinners, but we open up space so that sinners can come into the life-changing message and salvation of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to continue what Jesus started? Well, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Listen, there are spiritual powers at work in the world, dark spiritual powers that the Holy Spirit has given us authority over. And when we live in this world, we are identifying the ways that the evil one has people trapped in lies, has people trapped in bondage. And so to be on mission is to participate with God in setting the captives free, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen, somebody. Why did Jesus come? To preach the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Why did God come to set the captives free to preach the gospel? And when we proclaim the good news that in Christ Jesus, those who are captive can be set free. We are participating in the mission of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came. Why did he come? To seek and save those who are lost. 
And we extend this mission by participating in this. And why did he come to serve? His mission, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does it mean to be on mission? To continue what Jesus Christ has started. And that's to serve, to announce good news, to participate in what God is already doing. And it might look different from person to person, but this is our job description, brothers and sisters, to continue what Jesus has started. How do we cultivate this? How do we live into this? How do we prioritize this? How can we get our hearts open to this gracious invitation that God has invited us to follow him? How do we cultivate what it means to be a missional community, a missional individual? I want to offer just a few words for us, four ways of cultivating this, that by the grace of God will lead us to joining on what Jesus is already doing at your job, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the therapist's office, at the hospital, wherever you work. What does it mean to cultivate missional presence? A, a few thoughts that come to mind. The first is this. If we're going to cultivate missional presence, we have to recognize that God has been active long before we arrived. Long before we get there, wherever there is, God has already been there. And God is already active in the lives of people before we arrive. Any notion of mission in this world must confess that God moves first. Long before we act, God has already acted. Long before we speak, God has already spoken. Long before we arrive, God has already been present. In other words, we don't bring God anywhere. This has been the problem with Christians throughout the centuries where missionaries go out and instead of discerning where God has been and opening themselves to that particular people, it's often the case that missionaries have, not every missionary of course, but many missionaries have gone to so-called bring God there as opposed to discerning where God is already at. Whenever we show up in a job, whenever we show up in a relationship with someone, I always assume that God has already started a conversation with them. Long before I tell them about Jesus, long before I tell them about how they can be rescued by his love, I assume that the Holy Spirit is already having conversations with people. And I'm here to help them discern God's presence that's already in their lives. God has been active long before we arrive. We don't bring God anywhere. We discern where God is already active. And if we can grasp this in our souls, it'll set us free from the burden to have to hear that. Bring God somewhere. <laughs> How arrogant of us. God is already there. We have to discern his presence. Number two, God doesn't use perfect people to join him on mission. Oh, this is good news. I, I love, after the resurrection, Jesus, he, he, he's crucified, he resurrects, 
and he goes back to the same people who betrayed him. The same people who left him when he needed the most. The same people who fell asleep on him when he said, guys, can you just stay up with me? I need to pray. I'm just feeling, I'm pretty stressed. Uh, Can you just stay up with me? And they fall asleep on him. Those same people, when Jesus resurrects, he goes back to them. And when he goes back to them, he does not bring up their mistakes. He sends them on mission. How glorious. You don't have to be perfect. To join God in God's mission. As a matter of fact, the entire Bible shows us the people who were far from perfect. Who God invited over and over and over again. Have you read the Bible? These are not like super holy people. These are not people who have their act together. These are people who have so many inconsistencies, so many moral failures, so many problems. Let me give you a running list to describe what we find in the Bible. Look at the people God uses. Noah. Noah got drunk. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Mary was too poor. Abraham was too old, David was too young, Naomi was a widow, Paul was a murderer, Moses was not a good public speaker, Jonah ran from God, Miriam was a gossip, Thomas doubted, Jeremiah was depressed, Elijah was burned out, Samson had long hair, Elisha had no hair. Peter was afraid of death and Lazarus was dead. And this is who God uses over and over and over again. Right where you are at right now, the Holy Spirit wants to use you. With your inconsistencies, with your inadequacies, with your uh, up and down prayer life. Whether you are reading the Bible, whether you can't find your Bible, God wants to use you. And you don't need to be perfect to join God in mission. What God is looking for are people who are open to say, Lord, I don't have my act together, but but I still want to be used by you. I still want to be an extension of your love. And so to cultivate missional presence means that God doesn't use perfect people. Number three. How do we cultivate this? By remembering that it is the Holy Spirit who changes hearts. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. If I, I, get, I, I remember reading, hearing this and, and reading 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, which says, No one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I remember meditating on that before a sermon. And that, that verse set me free. Because if anyone is going to call Jesus Lord, it's not going to happen because I had some nice words to say. It's going to happen because the Holy Spirit is at work. And I remember the day when I took that burden off my shoulders. I'm here to deliver good news. And however the Holy Spirit wants to use it, the Holy Spirit's going to use it. Because it's the Holy Spirit who changes hearts. 
And so whether someone comes to me at the end of the service and says, Pastor Rich, wow, that was wonderful, or, you know, they didn't do much for me, Pastor Rich, it doesn't matter to me. Because I trust that the Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. Could you imagine how your relationships and conversations will change if you believe this? The burdens off your shoulders? That God can speak through a donkey in the Bible and get his word out. It is the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. And so when I have a conversation with someone, I'm asking, Lord, change this person's heart. Do whatever you want to do. Use my words however you want to use. And when I walk away from that person and nothing seems to change, I'm not walking away burdened by it. Because no one can call Jesus Christ Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Fourth and finally, to cultivate missional presence means that we live in hope. That Jesus will bring the kingdom of God in its fullness. He's bringing it. Not me. Not you. Not us. Jesus Christ will one day fulfill this promise to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we live in hope. Even though we watch the news, we go on social media, it looks like the world is a mess and the world is a mess. But I go to bed at night saying, Lord, yes, the world is a mess, but one day you are going to make all things new. One day your kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so I trust you with my life. And I entrust the world to you. Entrust my family to you. Entrust my neighbors to you. Entrust my coworkers to you. Entrust my world to you, our world to you. You will bring the kingdom in its fullness. And so what's the implication for all of us? It's this simple truth. To gather on Sundays in worship. To be in prayer and in reading the scriptures. We are to be reminded consistently that we are sent out into the world to continue what Jesus has started. Essentially, we are called to live like Jesus. Listen, wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. He, oh, he knew the Father is sending me. Wherever he went, he lived like he was sent. And this is what we are all called to live according to. Wherever you go, God is sending you. And it might be because he's sending you to offer good words. And it might be he's just sending you to offer your presence. But God is sending you. What would it look like if we went to work tomorrow saying, God is sending me here? What would it look like when you go home today? And I know there's challenges in your home and struggles in your marriage. And your kids are not listening to you. And, no, no. and what would it look like for you to go and say, God is sending me to this home? What would it look like to, to believe that God has sent you to that apartment complex you live in? To that neighborhood that you live in? To the workplace, to the school that you attend? To the place where you teach? God sent you there not just to get a paycheck, but to continue what Jesus has started. And so God has sent you to your workplace. God has sent you to your home. God has sent you to our congregation. I believe the Holy Spirit has given every person gifts and experiences and passions so that we would put them to use to serve others around us.
God has sent you, why? To get involved with our CDC, to get involved with our kids' ministry, to get involved with our youth ministry, to get involved in small group connections, to get involved in what happens on Sundays. God has sent you here not just to be a consumer to receive. He's given you gifts. He's given you experiences. He's given you passions, a life, and he wants to put those things into motion. And so if you're coming to new life, Yes, receive. Yes, worship. But God is sending you to this congregation because he wants to work in you and through you. And lastly, for the sake of tying all this in and what we've talked about with our CDC and what Tiffany and Edith mentioned, God has sent our congregation to this neighborhood. I know some of you and many of us might not live in Elmhurst. Some of you are coming from Long Island. Some of you are coming from two neighborhoods down. Some of you are coming from around the corner. But as a community, New Life Fellowship has been called to this neighborhood to work for the flourishing of this neighborhood, to serve those who are poor and marginalized, overseen, and under-resourced, to work for the kingdom of God coming on earth and in Elmhurst, as it is in heaven. And so if God has sent you here, and if you're watching online and God has called you to this community, he's called us to this neighborhood. And so the invitation for all of us is, Lord, send me. Those are the words of Isaiah. Lord, here I am. Send me. Wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. And may that truth be the same for each and every one of us. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us to yourself to send us into the world, to be missionally present, to continue what you started and what you're already doing. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us, would give us a new perspective on what life is to be, on what the Christian life is to be. Not a life that just simply receives and receives and receives and that we're looking just for the next experience for the sake of having another experience. But Lord, that every experience we have with you is to lead into us looking outward to be a blessing to the world. May we be a blessing to the world. May we be a gift to Elmhurst. May we be a gift to Queens, to Long Island, to New York City, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. May we be a good gift. May we surrender to you our lives. May we partner with you in seeing your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, to give expression to this longing of our own soul, we sing to you now words of praise and worship, words of surrender. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. And
the prayer of our hearts. As we close, I'd like to invite our prayer team to come to my left. I want to remind you that at the end of our service, uh, we'll have a a Zoom uh, conversation on uh, with our CDC. Uh, Our board chair will be there for our CDC and some other CDC members. And so if you want to learn more about what's happening, especially online, well, feel free for those of you with your devices in hand to join us as well. Um, if you want to hear more about what's happening with our Community Development Corporation, the ways you can partner, volunteer, uh, financially support the work that's happening, uh, join us for a few minutes. It would be great just to connect with you there. Also want to say, as we, you know, we've been gathering back in person for two services now for a little over a month, Uh, And so I I want to encourage you, feel free at the end of our service, if you want to just mingle in the sanctuary and connect with people and catch up, just feel free to to do that. Don't feel any need to rush out of here. Um, It'd be great just to uh, reconnect with people maybe that you haven't seen in a while. So feel free to take your time uh, with that. I'll be downstairs in the uh, lobby area or porch area. And if uh, if this is your first time or we've never met, Uh, I'd love to connect with you uh, before you head out. Our prayer team will be here. Listen, I assume every Sunday that to gather and worship, that when you come in here, there are a lot of people that are carrying heavy burdens. 
they're just struggling through life and could use a word of prayer, a word of support, a word of encouragement. And so if you find yourself today just needing someone to offer words of encouragement to you, after our blessing, final blessing, feel free to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. In addition to that, for those of you watching online or those of you in this room, maybe you've been coming to New Life, maybe this is your first time, but something has been drawing you maybe to this place or to worship. And you're wondering, what's, what's next? I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Here's what I know to be true. You're probably surrendering your life to something already. To live in this world is to surrender your life to something. And it's not working. It's not giving you the deep abiding peace and joy that you long for. It's certainly not saving you. And so when we gather, we give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to give your entire life to him. And that's what I want to invite you to prayerfully consider, to give your life to Jesus, much like I did as a 19-year-old much like so many other people in this room and watching online did, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive eternal life, to receive the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if something in your soul is going, I, 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 I want some of that, we want to serve you. So whether you come for prayer, whether you meet with one of our pastors downstairs, whether you text this phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, 718-424-0122, whether you do any of that or watching online, we want to serve you in taking your next step in following Christ. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We receive so that we could give. That's the, this is why we end in this posture. Lord, I want to receive from you, not just so I can just keep it for myself, but that so I can turn around and bless the world with what you have entrusted me with. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this gathering and out of this online gathering as well in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus is sending you, sending you to continue the work that he started and the work that he is currently involved in. May you be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what you cannot do in your own strength. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the empowering name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.